So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you have Genesis chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning. And the best thing to do is for me to refer to it, uh, the script, we're going to read the scriptures as we go along this morning. I hope you uh, find these to be here. We're going to be rushing on today and covering five days in half an hour or 20 minutes. That's not bad, is it? Five days and 20 minutes. But anyway, if you've missed anything, have a word with me and I'll email it to you quite easily. But we've been trying to link each day of creation to a theme. And day one we had the theme of illumination. God said, let there be light. And we said when we were looking at that, that this is God's first action in bringing cosmos out of chaos. We have chaos in chapter 1 and verse 2 of Genesis. And over at verse 31, we have the, the, the universe being formed. And we call that cosmos. And the first act of God to bring us out of chaos, even in our own individual lives, is to say, let there be light. He brings light for that darkness. And that's so important. And then we mentioned also the second day, the word is dimension, or perhaps a better word to use would be the word separation. Here is God separating the waters upon the earth, so that we have waters above the earth and waters upon the earth, and in between we have this atmosphere, we could call it sky, we could call it space, we call it atmosphere, and it gives us a breathing space. A place where the pressure that's upon the earth of all those billions of tons of water, that pressure is released. And so we have this water vapor, the vapor canopy over the whole earth, which is quite significant, as we will see later on. So the first theme on day one is illumination. God said, let there be light. The theme for day two is a dimension to the earth or we could say separation of the waters how God wants to lift the pressure of our lives so what happens on the third day let's look at it in verses 9 to 13 let me read these verses and God said let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and it was so and God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then God said let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees and the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed to it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. So up until the third day, the earth was a universal ocean. And it's fair to say that up until the third day, there wouldn't be a great deal of light. Although God said on that first day, let there be light. If you can think about this vapor canopy over the earth, that that light would not be able to shine through to a great extent. That came on the fourth day. So here on the third day, we have the dry land appearing. 
The waters are gathered into the seas, the vegetation and the trees appear. And some people have asked, how can you have this vegetation on the earth before the sun breaks through? The clouds above would scatter the rays of light so that they would not burn the vegetation. You could not get a more ideal situation than the situation we find in Genesis 1 verses 11 and 12. We've got this opaque glass, like an opaque glass that you find over a greenhouse. We have the perfect condition for this vegetation to grow. There are basically two themes that we want to look at briefly on day three. The first theme of the dry land appearing is that of foundation. Here is the foundation of the earth. The dry land begins to appear. We call that foundation that God is laying a foundation upon the earth for all that he wants to do as the days proceed. He's laying that kind of foundation. And perhaps the question we need to ask is, what kind of foundation is our life built upon? What's the foundation like in your life and mine? And the Bible says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation on which our life needs to rest. He is the one that we can build upon. His grace is always sufficient. His word never fails. His promises are true. Everything he says comes to pass. Upon him we can build our lives with confidence. And perhaps another question we need to ask as believers is, what kind of foundation are we laying for our children? And for our grandchildren? How stable is our foundation? When that crisis comes, will we remain firm and steadfast? Are we building our lives upon the rock or upon the shifting sand? What kind of foundation have we upon our hearts and in our lives? Is it the foundation of Jesus? What kind of foundation are we laying in our homes and in our families as Christian people? Another theme that we find in day three is beautification, or the beauty of the earth. Up until day three, the earth would be colourless, it would be bleak, as barren as a, a lunar landscape. And when the dry land appears, there's no grass, there's no flowers, there's no trees, no weeds either, praise the Lord. And here comes the colour. And it's quite remarkable that the first form of life that appears in the story of creation is vegetation. And that's the right order. I believe even the scientists agree with the order that we find in the story of creation. The first thing that appears is vegetation. It has been established that it's not possible for a planet to contain any amounts of oxygen for any length of time without large amounts of plants to replenish the supply. That oxygen cannot keep on going unless there's plants to replenish the supply. So plants come before animals and many animals of course are vegetation, eat vegetation. If they all eat each other there would be extermination. But we're thankful that some eat vegetation. 
And so the third day of creation is important from this point of view, that God clothes the earth with his beauty, with foods, with oxygen, and that's so important for us. I want you to notice something which divides Genesis 1 here into two parts. We said in verse 2 of chapter 1, the earth was without form and empty. And from that we learn that God needs to do two things. He needs to form it and he needs to film it, to fill it. So up until verse 3, we find that God is forming something. The dry land appears. But from verse 3 onwards, we find he's filling that earth. He fills it with vegetation, with animals and other things. So there's that connection there. There's two sections in chapter 1 up to verse 3. He's forming something. And from verse 3 onwards, he's filling what he has created. And the real the theme that we want to catch, with, and we've mentioned it before, what he forms, he fills. But God forms, he fills. And we said that was true about our own lives. When God forms that life of yours and shapes it as the potter, as clay in the potter's hand, that life is meant to be filled with the Spirit of God. And it's interesting, this is the question that comes to my mind. It may not be the right answer. But the question comes to my mind, can we really say that the earth was created in six days? If there was something there in verse 2, chapter 1 and verse 2, a blob of some kind, something that was there that was yet to appear on the third day, the dry land appears. Is it true to say that the earth was created in six days? Because was there something before day one? It seems from verse 2 there was. There was an earth that was empty, without form, and dark. There was something there. We don't know how long it was there. We don't know how it came into being. And the days of the creation are days of forming, days of filling, and God, God created the earth. I'm not denying that at all. I'm just asking the question, is it true to say that the earth was created in six days? Because there was something there before day one, and we don't even know how long it was. Interesting verse in Psalm 104 and verse 30 I came across. It says, when you send your spirit, your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Interesting, isn't it? That when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Is it possible that from day one onwards, God, by his spirit, hovering over that creation, hovering over something that was already there before day one, that something is happening, that he's renewing the face of the earth, he's forming and he's filling. And that's so important to grasp. What God forms, he fills. The other great lesson from day one is that not only on or after creation is we have the first record, either on or after the third day, the first record of God's satisfaction with his creation. On day three, we're talking here, it says there twice in verse 10 and verse 12, God saw that it was good. It was a good earth. It was good seed. And so here's the second great lesson for this morning, is this, what God creates, 
He cares for. God gives us a good earth, good seed. Everything that God creates is good. What God forms, He fills. What God creates, He cares for. So day three is the beginning of God's prescription for anxiety. And I hear you say, Alec, where in the world do you get that? Isn't that what Jesus said? What did Jesus say? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? This is the God who clothes the earth with grass, with trees, with vegetation. This is the earliest, the beginning of God's prescription for anxiety. And the Bible is saying, I want you to look around you. And see how God has made provision for us upon this earth and for everything else. And if God cares about what he has created, will he not care for you? And Jesus is saying to people, why are you anxious about what you eat and about what you wear or what you drink? This God who has so clothed the fields, he is going to look after you. And here we are perhaps worried sick about something that hasn't happened yet. Or anxious about some situation about our future or what's going to happen in our lives. And Jesus is saying to us, this God who clothes his creation, who does all this thing. Folks, he's going to look after you. Do you believe that? That what God creates, he cares for. <coughs> Reminds me of that old poem, said the robin to the sparrow. Friend, I'd really like to know. Why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so? Said the sparrow to the robin friend, I think it it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Here's the beginning of the prescription for anxiety. That God so close the fields with his grass and he'll look after you as well. Look at something else regarding what God said was good in death. No matter how much evil we find in the world, something of the gospel comes about here. And you say, Alec, where in the world is the gospel coming from God saying that what he created was good? Here it is this. Listen to it carefully. No matter how much evil there is upon the earth, there's enough of the stamp of God upon his creation to leave us without excuse. Have you got that? People say there's so much evil upon the earth that I can't believe in God. Listen to it carefully. There's so much of the stamp of God upon his creation that leaves us without excuse. We cannot say there's so much evil on the earth I don't believe there is a God. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 You Gentiles, you did not have the revelation the Jews had. You didn't have the Jewish scriptures. But you have creation. And you're without excuse. I was watching that program. Maybe you saw it there. Is it called The Frozen Planet of the Arctic? What a program that is. It's amazing. 
quite amazing for the camera crew as well, I think. There's enough of the stamp of God to leave us without this. No wonder the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Only the fool can actually say that. And it says in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. When God says this earth of mine is good, the seed is good, there's enough left of that stamp of God to leave us without excuse. There's gospel here. Let's look at day four then. We have illumination in day one. We've got separation in day two. On day three we've got foundation and beautification. Let's look at day four. What's the theme for day four? We could use the theme of direction here. We've already highlighted how Christians differ as to whether the sun was created on day one or day four. If it happened on day one, the sun is veiled in day one. There's that canopy, that, there's that uh, greenhouse effect. The rays of the sun are getting through, but the light is not breaking through the clouds, if you like. That's going to happen in day four. So in day one, the sun is veiled. In day four, the sun is visible. Others believe in day four, the solar system was put in place. Up until this point, planet Earth would be spinning around in its axis, aimlessly, as it were. But God, through the power of his word, gave it direction. Look at verse 14. Look what it says there. Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And the emphasis here you see on day four is not so much upon the lights being created but upon the purpose of them. The reason for them being to give direction and purpose to the earth for days and years and time. For signs and for seasons. For migration and navigation. But as we know, life without direction is just existence. And I want to ask you this morning, have you got direction in that life of yours? Where in the world is it going? And here we find God saying to us, or the word of God saying to us about day four, the earth is finding time and seasons and direction. It's moving on in terms of time and seasons and night and morning. And perhaps you have to admit today that you've missed the signs of the times. You've missed the seasons of life. You've missed out on the days and the years that God has given you. And that day four talks about time, it talks about seasons, it talks about the signs that God has put in the sky for us. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has given us signs. 
He says to the people in his day in the Gospels, you look and you see around you that something is coming forth, that there's there's spring coming forth. You can see the fruit. You look at the signs of the times and you know what's going to be happening during the seasons. And yet you don't know what's happening with me. You don't know what's coming up ahead. Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And you better be looking out for the signs of his coming because there's plenty around. The rumours of wars that we see around. The kind of, I mean the thing that we have at the end of Romans chapter 1 where it talks about people calling good evil and evil good. That's what's happening before our eyes. And Jesus says, I'll give you the signs. These are signs of the times that you need to take up. And so we find in day four that God has so organized creation that there are seasons, that there are times, that there are years being given to. That's being organized there on day four. And just as the light of the sun and the moon give direction, so the Lord wants to give us direction. And I want to tell you this, it all points to him. If you want to see the direction that we find in the word of God, it all points to him. I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Let's move to day 5 and part of day 6. And here we have what we call animation. The earth at this stage was in a living colour, like a still life painting. But there was no movement, there was no activity or feeling. There was no singing birds, there were no roaring lions. No barking dogs either, praise the Lord. And there were no singing birds and no roaring lions and no quacking ducks and no leaping fish. And so in day five we have this conscious life over the unconscious life. Conscious life on the waters and the fish in the sea and the birds of the air. And it's interesting that we're told in verse 21 that God created the sea monsters. Why is it important to underline that in your mind? Because these modern scholars keep trying to tell us that the Hebrew account of creation came from the Babylonians. And the Babylonians had their chaos monster. The only trouble with the Babylonian kind of creation was the monster came before the gods were created and the gods and the monster fought each other. Isn't it God's word unique? Isn't it God's word scripture? And it says that God created even the sea monster, it says in verse 21. I mentioned you the importance of the Hebrew word for creation, which you know is the word barah. Not the kind you push. Which carries this thought of something out of nothing. A special, unique creation. And that comes up with the creation of life. The animal life. The life of man. This word bara keeps coming up. You'll find it again in chapter 1 and verse 21. Look again at the end of verse 21. That God creates the living creatures and birds. God saw it, it was good. Again he says. God saw it, it was good. But I want you to notice verse 2. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the skies, and let the birds increase in the earth. So here's the third great lesson. What God forms, he fills. You got that? What God creates, he cares for. And the last one, what God calls good, he blesses. What God calls good, he blesses. Here's the point. You can't separate the goodness of God from the blessing of God. You can't separate the goodness of God from the blessing of God. We tend to use that word good so loosely, don't we? What is a good person? Somebody who's been blessed of God. You know what the psalmist said? The psalmist said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. A man blessed of God. What's a good word? 
It's a word blessed of God. What's a good home? It's a home blessed of God. What does it say about Barnabas in the New Testament? He was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit. There's something different there that we find in the scriptures there. Thank you. He was a good man. Again, thought it was good. Look at verses 24 and 25. Let's read these verses. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made wild animals according to their kinds. The livestock according to their kinds. And the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I've always wondered why God made creepy crawly things. But a wee bit of a battle in the bus, you know, in Israel. We had Elizabeth on one side and somebody else on the other side, Lorraine on the other side. And Elizabeth wouldn't let us hit a fly. And one or two flies on the bus. God created these wee ugly... <laughs> Why did God create spiders? I don't really know. But birds eat spiders, don't they? And the beauty of a spider's web. There's all these creepy crawly things going along that Lorraine bashes with. <laughs> Maybe I do as well. And Eileen takes these spiders and she takes them gently upstairs and she drops them out the window. I don't know what happens to them 50 feet below. But she throws, she throws them out the window. But you know, it does speak to us in the stewardship of God's creation. What about conservation? What about vivisection? Animals being used for experimentation. God created it. Jainism is a sect of Buddhism. And Jainism is the greatest respect for all types of organic life. They, they are strict vegetarians. They strain their drinks in case they swallow a flat. Nobody's told them they swallow a spider after that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but from scripture we see that when God creates sea and land animals, they have no right to curse them or misuse them. Although I don't believe we're all meant to be strict vegetarians. So here we have today. Five days. Day one... Illumination, God's elder be light. Day two, a dimension, the earth's circumference was increased, they tell us. Or the word separation, God's lift the water, he lifts the pressure of the earth. Day three, foundation, the dry land appear, and beautification, he gives colour to the earth and the vegetation. Day four, direction, the solar system comes into place. We have signs in the heavens, we have seasons, we have time, we have years and days. And day five, animation. What's the three important lesson? Listen to what God forms, he fills. Can you say it with me? What God forms, he fills. What God creates, he cares for. Can you say that? What God creates, he cares for. He'll care for you. What God calls good, he blesses. What God calls good, he blesses. Don't miss next week's God's crowning creation next Sunday. Let's have a prayer.